Hi there, this is Ken Roundy at USH Med Student, back for more torture. I think this is the third podcast this week, and there might be one more, or are we done now? Is this our last one together? I think this is it. We're done. And uh, where do you guys go from, so let's do some introductions, and in your introduction, since everybody has met you already a few times, how about telling us where you're going next? So, Joshua? Yeah, so Joshua Hansen, third year medical student from RVU, wanted to go into psychiatry, um, it is board prep season, so I am going into dedicated study where I will be working through UWorld, AMBOSS, practice questions, reading through my review materials and trying to hit that, uh, that, uh, that score, score goal on step two. Same thing, just getting ready for step two, going to be taking it in 20 days, so I'm feeling the pressure. And you are Doug Worthland. I am Doug Worthland. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, would you introduce yourself? Quinn Gray, third year med student at RVU, going to go into psychiatry. My next month I'm going to be at the state hospital still, just with a different psychiatrist. Who do you going to be with next month? Dr. Mac Whitehead. Oh, you're going to have such a great time. He is amazing. And in fact, I think uh, at some point in the future, he may start doing some of the podcasts as well. We'll see how that goes. Cool. Nice. Yeah, it'd be kind of fun. Um, That would mean we would have a lot of podcast content and maybe even some of it pretty helpful. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Following a a trend that we had, uh, I think it was about a year ago, we had, uh, oh gosh, we had an ER directed student and his name will come to me as soon as I'm not trying to think about it. We did five or six podcasts together. We did uh, uh, a number of podcasts on substances of misuse that might show up in the emergency room. I think we had one on uh, on maybe ketamine, maybe not. We had one on cot. Um, a lot of interesting podcasts on substances of misuse and how they're being misused. Uh, We've also had some podcasts we did with Dave Brown, Mm -hmm. uh, who goes by the nickname of Batman. Um, Mm -hmm. Cam. Cam was the other student. I can't believe it took me that long to remember it. Uh, uh, David, Batman, I Work Alone, Brown, uh, did a couple of podcasts on how substances might be used synergistically and misused in the community. I think we looked at loperamide at one point. And uh, this continues in that vein with a medication that is getting some notoriety at the moment, uh, Trink. Uh, Doug, you're the one that developed the podcast. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, xylazine? Yeah, so I um, was just scrolling through my news feed a month ago and just saw some inflammatory news article about how it's the next drug that's killing everyone. And so obviously I became interested in it. so the street name is Trank, the technical name is Xylazine, and it's an alpha-2 agonist um, that is used in veterinary medicine for sedation and for, I think, horse breeding. So it's been, they've been using it since the 70s, so it's well known in the veterinary com- uh, community. Um, but the issue with this is that um, we're finding it more and more in the fentanyl and heroin mixtures that people are using, and it's becoming more and more common uh, to be detected in people who've overdosed. So why is this uh, showing up? What is it that is pulling people to use of this drug? Well, I 
So that's a interesting question. I think um, it's cheap, so it's between five to thirty dollars per kilogram. And I was just looking at comparisons in heroin, and heroin's about fifty dollars per gram. Is so my math wrong? If that's like a thousand times cheaper. I think it's a ten. Oh yeah, a thousand times. Yeah. I'll do the math. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> um, so so there's that. So what's hap what they think is happening is that people aren't uh, buying trank per se. Well, they're buying this thing called trank dope, which is a mixture of heroin, fentanyl, and xylazine, and it makes the prices cheaper. And what they postulate is happening is that the lower level distributors, so the people who are, the drug dealers who are client facing, will dilute their mixtures with, with Trank. So it's not, um, it may, this may be happening, but what they, it's not that someone in Colombia or these big drug cartels are distributing it with xylazine, but instead the mom and pop drug shops, per se. <laughs> the hometown on the street kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, um, we did see some pictures of people who have chronic use of xylazine where there are these quite uh, large open wounds that don't heal up. Y you've said that trank is largely or xylazine is largely mixed in with heroin or fentanyl. Are there people who use only xylazine? There, are, there have been cases reported of that. It's more common in Puerto Rico, though. So it's been known that xylazine has been used in Puerto Rico since the early 2000s. Uh, and so they it's, they call it anesthetica de caballo, which means... Anesthetica of course. Of caballo. Caballo of course. <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm just teasing. Do you speak Spanish? I do. Okay. So, um, so, so they have populations that just exclusively lose, use xylazine. There's been some anecdotal reports that users feel that it uh, gives a sensation similar to heroin, and they like that because the fentanyl is too fast-acting, but xylazine can give them a prolonged uh, sedation. You mentioned this is used as an animal tranquilizer. Mm -hmm. Are there deaths associated with use in animals, and are there deaths associated with use in humans? With animals, I'm not sure. I imagine that there have been uh, deaths associated with animals, but I don't know. It would just be guessing. I didn't look into that. There is plenty of articles on appropriate dosing and the administration of xylazine in animals for different uses. In fact, if you do a scholarly search, that's the majority of what you'll find. And so considering that there's all that information out there on how to do it correctly, I imagine that there's been some people, some animals that have died from it. And you were saying that we do have antidotes, but of for xylazine, but uh, they're veterinary, like yeah. And so uh, these are actually, uh, in interestingly enough, these reversal compounds were mentioned in the FDA statement that was an alert about this as a as a new issue that our communities are facing, and they're called yohimbine, which is um, I I need to look it up. I think that's a root, isn't it? Yeah, it's a out of the out of the Amazon, maybe it's it's yeah it's a it's an evergreen tree native to Central 
in West Africa. Oh, Africa. I had the wrong continent. I was thinking Brazil. Yeah. And then this is, I think Yohimbine also has use in, I want to say, sexual dysfunction. Yeah. I, I've seen uh, people come into, like, family practice clinics saying, I'm taking Yohimbine for sexual dysfunction, like, as far as things. So it definitely is an herb that clinicians should be aware of. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Yohimbine can reverse this. Do people who are using Trank... Um, do they have yohimbine? Is this something that people are using Trank know no. about? No. So the way that it's talked about in the FDA alert is that this is what is being used for animals, but it's currently not known if it works in humans, and so they don't recommend it yet, which I found interesting that they would mention it and then say not to use it. Um, and, and then tolazoline is, is another one? Yep, or that tel- is another one. Tolazoline? Yeah, I don't, uh, Not sure don't know how to say it. And is that a medication that's approved only for use in animals? Yep. So there is no approved reversal agent right now. Okay. So this are, so tolazoline is an alpha adrenergic receptor antagonist. So that makes sense. If we have an alpha 2 agonist, you give them an antagonist, and hopefully that reverses the effect. Now I, w- I want to go back to the question you Uh, what you said, or what I asked earlier, which was, do animals die and do humans die? You answered maybe with animals. I'm guessing that one of the reasons this came forward from the FDA was because it's being found in overdose deaths, that that this this drug is being found in combination with other opiates. So in a study in Philadelphia in 2019, 25% of overdose deaths detected some level of xylazine in their system. And that, and the, uh, it's been increasing a lot. So it was, I think in 2010, it was like 5%. And then in 2017, it was like 10%. So it's gone up a lot in the last couple of years. And uh, I haven't, I guess I could check. I have some other more recent data, but it's a similar the trend. The idea is the trend is going up. Yeah, but with a really steep slope, not just gradual. Are, are there other drugs that are found in combination most often? I, I assume opiates are, on, but is fentanyl being found in combination with this? Are yes. there uh, club drugs found in combination with this, marijuana found in combination with this? What is the what is the drug that's found in combination with this mostly? So it's mostly fentanyl, and then but it's mostly a trifecta, heroin, fentanyl, and xylazine. But they also have um, cocaine, and heroin. There's a street name for when you combine heroin and cocaine that's escaping me. But um, heroin and cocaine is a speedball, isn't it? Speedball, yeah. So, speaking from experience? No, sir. Okay, let's make sure. Oh, sorry. No, Doug, if it was Quinn that asked me that. <laughs> no, sir. Yeah, so they, they, in Puerto Rico, they put it in the speedball. Uh, that's pretty common. So they have cocaine, heroin, and xylazine. And xylazine. Okay. Yep. Uh, um, and so, so people have died. And so then, but the big issue with this, I guess, is that naloxone doesn't work. And the the way the mechanism that xylazine works is that it causes respiratory depression, hypotension, bradycardia, all these symptoms that would lead anyone, any clinician, to thinking, "Oh, this is an opioid overdose." And so. You give the naloxone and they're still not coming back. It's important to know what that could possibly be, and in a lot of cases, it may be xylazine. 
Interesting. Um, so you have a map here showing how this uh, substance has made it in through the United States. I think uh, in map A in 2019 there are uh, states performing testing and they're finding cases of xylazine in autopsies I believe and then by 2021 almost every state has is now using this postmortem to to look for this drug, and they're all finding cases postmortem, or nearly every state is finding yeah cases postmortem. And, and one issue with the, this image is that the techniques for detecting xylazine haven't been widely disseminated in every state. They're not new techniques; they just use mass spec stuff that that any chemistry lab is equipped to do, but it just haven't been detected. So. And it may have been yeah. detected more in Texas, but they just weren't looking for it. There's not super great tests available right now to know if someone has xylazine in their system if they're if it's not like a postmortem thing. Um, so this is at least how much that it's being used. Yeah, I'm looking at this, and it looks like uh, 11 states as of 2021 had not identified a case of xylazine. Um, and nine of those 11 were not de were not using techniques to identify xylazine. Yeah. So, so it, would, it would be safe to assume that they probably should be included into the reach of this drug. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only, we like, just don't know. Idaho is the only state I see immediately that does testing and hasn't found it. Um, yeah. And this is 2021, so... So we've had two years. Looks like Kentucky is the other one, if I'm looking at this correctly, so... Yeah. Very it's, fascinating. It's, it's spreading quickly. I think that's the takeaway. So what is... I think any time I see a, a pharmacological substance, um, I try to think, well, why, why is this substance being used this way? Why is it... Um, why is it that it does what it does? What is the pharmacology of this. Talk to me about pharmacology. Okay, so like I said, it is an alpha-2 agonist. That means it um, inhibits the sympathetic system. And it's a phenothiazine. And some other phenothiazines are antipsychotics like Thorazine and fluf Flufenazine. So those compounds we know have sedative properties. So something just to context um, and by the way, for those of you that have listened to many of the podcasts, we did a podcast on the discovery of phenothiazine molecules, which is uh, very, very fascinating as well. Hmm. Uh, Labrite and one other surgeon in France identified Thorazine uh, from this phenothiazine compound. And there's a great story of stealing plants out of Peru um, and growing them in other parts of the world to have access to this compound, which is um, developed out of methylene blue. Huh. Yeah, it's wow, a fascinating story. Very interesting. It's a fascinating story, and uh, it's equally as fascinating to me if you listen to the COT podcast, which is almost impossible to follow. Some of these compounds, um, it, it seems like you can have minor changes to some of these compounds that act on the serotonergic system or adrenergic system, both, and, and you can get a dramatically different outcome. You can have more serotonergic effects, more adrenergic effects, 
fewer adrenergic effects, blocking adrenergic pathways. It, it's just there's this myriad of outcomes associated with very minor changes in these molecules. And that you have alpha-2 alpha medications like flufenazine and thorazine, which are also, or at least in the past, were called major tranquilizers, and have that be part of a combination of, of opiate and fentanyl cocktails. That's just incredibly fascinating to me. Yeah. And so to dive further into the mechanism, at least for the CNS effects, the alpha-2 agonism leads to inhibition of norepinephrine and dopamine in the CNS, and that's what gives it its uh, sedative properties. Interestingly, they also found that xylosine can bind with opioid receptors, but it's a very weak binding, and so that's why people thought, oh, well, we need to give naloxone. Later studies have shown that it's only very weakly binds to opioid receptors and naloxone has very little effect. I'm under the impression from some of the things you've said that if somebody is given naloxone for reversal of what is presumed to be an opiate uh, overdose, is it possible that respiratory depression can continue through uh, naloxone use? If you've reversed even the opiate, can you still die from suppression, respiratory suppression? hypotension, bradycardia from the xylosine alone? That's, that is what I have um, inferred from the papers that I've written. It, that sounds like why people are dying and why it's such an issue, but I'm not an emergency medicine doc. I've never actually seen it in person, but yeah, I think that's what they've all been trying to say. Okay. I thought it was interesting. So I, I went down the rabbit hole. Um, if you've listened to other podcasts, there are groups that talk a lot about the rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> I think uh, Joshua might have gone down a rabbit hole or two in the past. I'm going to go out on a limb there. Mm -hmm. so, so the thing that's interesting to me is it sounds like when you were looking at articles about the use of this as an animal tranquilizer, you found a lot of articles about reversal. I think you might have been going down a different uh, pathway. I found a surprising number of articles that spoke to uh, nausea associated with xylosine use, so animal nausea, and mm -hmm. how that was being treated. And some of those articles seem to have what on face looked to me like contradictory kinds of outcomes because of this being an, um, a, a, an adrenergic agonist, right? So, so what's fascinating to me is I started um, Googling what are adrenergic molecules that we use in psychiatry. And there are a couple that popped up very quickly. So we're all familiar, I believe, with mirtazapine, which is mm -hmm. a 5-HT2 uh, 5-HT2B um, and C. Is that it? No, I've got that wrong. It's a serotonin 2 and serotonin 3 receptor antagonist. And then it also works on that alpha 2 receptor uh, presynaptically as part of a shutoff, right? And we also are aware that clozapine works on that uh, adrenergic 2 receptor as well. If you dive in just a little bit deeper, it looks like there are three specific receptors, alpha-2A, alpha-2B, and alpha-2C. And each of these have somewhat different kinds of effects. But I couldn't find anywhere that talked about specifically whether xylosine was alpha-2A, alpha-2B, or alpha-2C. It appears that there's some regional uh, locations, I think, for C 
ABA is more widespread, I may have that reversed. And it, it didn't help me understand pharmacology. All it helped me understand was, hey, for some reason, this is like an anesthetic. And, mm -hmm. and it seems to have something to do with that alpha-2 receptor. Did you find anything beyond that? Um, I didn't dive that deep into the pharmacology. I just looked at it as an alpha-2 agonist and sort of thought of it similar to clonidine. But I was mostly thinking about the withdrawal effects. Yeah. I think that, uh, I, don't, I don't believe that clonidine, I'm not totally familiar with it, but it doesn't have as many sedative properties as... Um, as xylazine seems. Has. Yeah, there, there are different ratios. I, I don't know if this was in something you had or something I read somewhere else, but the, and they had a strange potency ratio. I don't think this was a KI. I think it was like a potency. And it was like uh, five to seven times more potent than, than, uh, than, uh, clonidine yeah. at that 5-HT2 receptor. But I, but I think one of the challenges is there's not a lot of breakdown between the specific kinds of 1, 2, rece one and 2 receptors, let alone the 5-HT2, uh, A, B, and C receptors. And so I, I was not really sure what that meant. What, mm -hmm. what surprised me, though, is that it's this 5-HT2, I'm sorry, not 5-HT2, this alpha-2-C receptor had had some uh, interest in at least Europe. There was a Finnish company that was developing an antipsychotic, perhaps based on some um, some ideas about clozapine, perhaps on something else. I, I wasn't able to find exactly why they went down this pathway. That didn't pan out, but it looks like they're pursuing um, some procognitive approaches to treating Alzheimer's disease, uh, Alzheimer's dementia, with. Uh, alpha 2 C receptors as well, antagonists. So a lot going on with these receptors that is well beyond what I think we all learned in, in autonomic uh, physiology that we, mm. you know, as we were introduced to receptor yeah, physiology. Certainly more nuances to each of the different groups that we learned. So very interesting. I was left with the idea that for some reason this is an anesthetic, but why, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, it almost reminded me of ketamine in the sense that I, I don't know that the pain is completely gone, but you don't think about it or don't worry about it, maybe. At least that's kind of the way I understand ketamine. Yeah, the so the um, anecdotal reports in those studies that I read said that, pay, that uh, people who took thylazine in these combinations would just be completely out for five hours after taking them. Um, they didn't speak about the about pain, any influence on their pain. Maybe it does uh, influence their pain, but that was much different, I guess, than what they were used to with fentanyl. They're just a fentanyl and heroin combination. I, I better go back a little bit. This is it's labeled as an uh, animal tranquilizer, but it, it also seemed like as I was reading through some of this. Um, it's used with anesthetics, not as an anesthetic. So I'm, I'm saying that incorrectly earlier. Does that okay. sound more correct to you? Um, so I didn't dive into if the use in... I just said, oh, well, it's an animal anesthetic, but I didn't dive into all, of the, all yeah. of the particulars on how it's used in animals. I did see an interesting article about using it for horse breeding, which I thought was interesting. But How did they... Well... 
Maybe not a... <laughs> I'm not going to ask that today. I, yeah. Uh, so, so I think it makes some sort of sense if you have a, the, the side effects of this that you've got listed here about half the time, drowsy, lethargy, which fits with what you're talking about. Uh, in a sense, you're having additive or maybe potentiating the effects of opiates and, and uh, fentanyl, bradycardia, hypotension, rarely hypertension, uh, respiratory depression runs with this. All of those things make some sort of sense for somebody that's trying to slow down or be more sedated. The one that is a little bit challenging that you've got listed here is skin ulcers. You were telling us a little bit about how those skin ulcers have affected people in Puerto Rico. Yeah, so chronic use of xylazine will lead to skin ulcers both at the injection site but also at just random parts of the body. And I showed everyone a picture of these skin ulcers. They're pretty grotesque, I think is a good word for it. You can definitely see a lot of necrotic tissue or what looks like necrotic tissue. Um, it's vast. It's not a few centimeters. It's encompassing the entirety of the thighs. Um, yeah, and so they can get really large. And what they've noticed in Puerto Rico is that patients who get these ulcers end up injecting more xylazine into them to treat the pain from the ulcers and it just is this negative feedback loop where they just get or I guess maybe positive feedback they just get worse and worse because they're treating the pain with something that's causing the ulcers and this study noted that the patients who had these ulcers were less likely to receive treatment and were more likely to be isolated from society because the ulcers they smelled really bad and they just really don't look good and made people very uncomfortable. And they compared it to being treated like lepers. So I think it has some serious psychological effects more than just taking drugs. And so it's the ulcers that are keeping people away, not a stigma of substance use that's keeping people distance from well, this. Well, it's, it's both. So the, from what I read, from how I understood it, someone who doesn't have the ulcers and is... Use, abusing substances is more likely to be uh, is less likely to be isolated and more likely to uh, seek out care than a patient who has the ulcers and is abusing substances. So it just okay. added on. That makes sense. I, I may have missed it. You used the description treated like lepers. Yeah. When when we were talking before, is that something that I missed as I was looking at my notes, or did you mention that again? Yeah, I said it again. Okay, and so, good. <laughs> but it, it's interesting, you know. That's interesting that they, it was a significant enough problem to say, because I think generally, like Josh is kind of alluding to, people that abuse substances generally are not, are a little bit more isolated in our communities, right? Yeah. But it was significant enough to say that they are even more isolated than just your standard substance abuse, so it speaks to how severe it is. The ulcers are pretty pretty terrible. It sounds yeah. like. Did you did you read anything? I know that uh, skin popping, w when I was going through school, was associated with increased risks of uh, septicemia. You would get uh, bacterial uh, vegetation. Is there anything along those lines that came up in in this? Um, I didn't find anything on that, but I imagine that that is also an issue. I think that people are more concerned about the overdose issue and so that's what's being written about and out there because it's just the levels are just increasing so rapidly so I think they're mostly focused on the acute management and then the chronic management 
with, of these skin ulcers will probably be something that we tackle later on. Talk to me. I, I, <clears throat> I think as I'm looking through the notes, we went out of order enough that I think we've tackled almost everything except how you would manage this and one other, two other things, and that is uh, treatment of withdrawal. So it yeah. sounds like there's a dependency state that's created with xylosine where people feel what when they go cold turkey off xylosine? What, what, what does that affect? So that was actually something that was difficult for me to understand. I had the same question. Well, what does someone feel when they're withdrawing from xylosine? And what the literature said is they're mostly worried about um, just going cold turkey on an alpha-2 agonist, like if you're taking clonidine for a really long time, you can get rebound, really bad rebound hypertension. And so that's what they were concerned about. In the case report that I, there was only one case report on treating the withdrawal. Um, they talked about the ulcers, and they also talked about just treating it with other alpha-2 agonists to prevent the alpha-2 agonist withdrawal. So I, I didn't find anything about unique symptoms of the withdrawal, but just that it would be like withdrawing from clonidine. I probably better make sure I've said this the right way, too, while we're talking about this. I believe that uh, mirtazapine is an alpha-2 antagonist because it stops the turnoff, and guanfacine is an alpha-2 antagonist also. Is that right? And terazosin is an alpha-2 antagonist, or are these agonists? Do I have it backwards? I want to say guanfacine is alpha-2 agonist. All right, let's double-check that. So mirtazapine is an uh, antagonist. Right, and I think clozapine is an antagonist. And then the question is whether guanfacine and terazosin are agonists or antagonists. And I think they are agonists. Is that correct? And while you're looking at that... So guanfacine is a... Um, it's an agonist. Which is really strange, right? That's one of the other things that makes this really hard for me to wrap my head around. I, I don't understand why guanfacine, which seems to be used to treat ADHD, um, unless it gets down to this 5-HT2A, 5-HT, I'm sorry, alpha-2A, alpha-2B, alpha-2C, I can't wrap my head around these two molecules being like just globally labeled as alpha-2 agonists, right? It seems very different to me. So, so I, I'm, I, if I've said it wrong before, correcting it now, the agonists. And so you would be able to use potentially guanfacine or clonidine or trazosin, which I think is in a, a, a two as well, as a, something that might help people come off of, of uh, xylosine. Yep, correct. Okay. So this, they used dextmet metomidine, uh -huh. they used tizanidine, and then those were the first two, and then they started working in clonidine afterwards, and they seemed to get a good response with that. And, and something I didn't mention earlier, because I don't, I just don't know enough about this, there is this uh, new medication out there called Dex, it's what you just mentioned, I think it's dexmetodidine, yeah. uh, and I'm probably saying that incorrectly, <laughs> this is uh, used for acute agitation in patients, and it's not something we've used yet here at the state hospital, but it might be something we should look at. And uh, again, this is an alpha-2 molecule, right, Dex, Dex, dexmetodidine. And um, 
again gets back to that idea of they started looking at these alpha-2 molecules in treatment of schizophrenia. At one point, this is, I think, indicated for agitation in schizophrenia. Maybe it's just agitation. And so some pieces that I, I need to keep putting together. The other thing I wanted to ask you about um, before we go to treatment, how do, how do you treat somebody that has overdosed uh, with this substance? You had an interesting search. Uh, uh, you thought, well, how might I find xylazine? Tell me how that went. Oh, yeah. So another interesting aspect of the FDA report was that they don't know how this xylazine is getting introduced into the system. They speculate that it could be people uh, cooking it themselves. It could be people buying it legally and then using it for illegal pur pur purchase uh, purposes. Or people could be buying it um, under the table. Uh, they could be buying it from other countries mm. where they don't have the same regulations because it's not an FDA at the moment. It's not like an FDA regulated. It's not a scheduled drug. And so I just Googled uh, xylazine in China purchase. And there was like a full list of different vendors that were selling xylazine. And I didn't click on any to see. I imagine there's some, uh, you need to show some credentials at this point because it's, Maybe not. I don't know. But it seems like at least most states have, uh, states are certainly aware of this, and most states have put out some sort of um, announcement of the problem. But maybe it hasn't gotten to, you know, to mm. controlling vendors. If you were to come across somebody that is sedated, obtunded, yeah, might be the right word, you suspect a cocktail of uh, fentanyl opiates and xylazine, how do you respond to that? What, what's, the, what's the emergency response? So first thing is you want to give the patient naloxone because to counteract any of the opioid effects. And you want to stabilize the patient with, um, with fluids and if you need to increase their heart rate, then you would use the medications for that. Um, and then, um, but as far as like treating the xylazine, we really don't have much. Just pulmonary support? Yeah, pulmonary support, and you just want to educate the patient on the, uh, on the side effects and the consequences for using xylazine, and you need to report it to the state substance uh, control body, governing body. Um, I think you'd have to do lab work and ask specifically for xylazine to know that for sure. I, I think yeah. one of the notes, and we I don't think we mentioned this yet, xylazine doesn't currently show up on... Um, it doesn't show up on the standard drug. drug test, but I think it's some states are making it a little bit faster to test for it. So it's it's in you know people's minds that it may be there may they may develop screens where it's included. Okay. Um, I think that covered most things, and I I think other than my really boring deviation into alpha two receptor activity, that was actually really interesting. Well, I think that part was also interesting. Yeah, not boring. Yeah, 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 I still have to do that evaluation, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was uh, very interesting. It's fascinating stuff, and, and I think I'll, I'll go ahead and give my take-home first. My take-home is that I don't understand alpha receptor physiology nearly well enough. 
I've got a new medication that might help with agitation that might have been a great choice recently for a patient I was working with because it might have had a different outcome on the uh, problem this person was having, mm. right? And I don't want you guys to say anything because I think you guys probably know who I'm speaking about and I don't want to break any HIPAA laws in addition to having Doug's comment earlier. <laughs> um, so, so my take home is I'm gonna spend more time trying to understand alpha two. I'm going to try and figure out where, what the differences between the alpha two A, B, and C might be. If that has implications for medications that I'm giving, if it has sedation or calming effects, um, I do use, oddly enough, trazosin quite often uh, to help with drooling for patients who have drooling with uh, clozapine. Um, so, so I think there's uh, all sorts of things here that might help me be a better psychiatrist. So that's, that's my take home is to try and uh, solve that deficit I've got in terms of alpha, um, alpha receptor physiology. Who's next? Sir? Thank you. My other take home is if I call you <laughs> sir first, you don't call me sir. All right. Thank you, sir. Um, <laughs> I, I work for a living. <laughs> My take. Lieutenant. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> okay. My, my take home from this episode is um, that I guess when, when Doug brought up this idea of xylazine, of Trank, it, it's something that I had never heard of before. Um, but it's actually been around for a few years. And so I, I think if I was a practicing physician, I don't, I don't want to know about these things a few years after they come out. I want to I be, you know, on the forefront. So personally, my takeaway is I need to be keeping up with what's out there right now so that I know how to handle them when they come around. I like that. Joshua? I love these conversations about um, drugs of misuse and, and substance use. I think that addiction and addiction psychiatry is is a blossoming field right now it's it's on the spotlight and um, there's a lot of misinformation I think the first thing that we can do to reduce the stigma in substance use and really move forward as a as a field of study is to understand these compounds and understand how people are getting a hold of them and, and taking them and, and what it looks like uh, to have these addictions so that's my favorite part about these conversations is kind of the social, cultural aspect of these medications. Because if we can, or, and, and substances, if, if we can understand them better, we can maybe understand our patients that are struggling with substance use better. And if we understand our patients better, hopefully we can treat them better. It's interesting. I just, I know I already had my take home, but I just had an aha moment that will probably change how I think about medicine a little bit. Um, you talked about understanding more, um, but if, if you think about leprosy, it, it created a barrier between communities, families, and people with the illness, right? Yeah. And that only changed with effective treatments. And I was thinking about tardive dyskinesia for a long time. I think uh, the pharmaceutical reps say that psychiatrists are trained to almost not see tardive dyskinesia because it's terrible and we didn't have treatments for that for many years, right? So along those lines, it's a lot easier to um, be with somebody, work with somebody, if you can actually make a difference in what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. If you can actually treat the problem. And so the, the quote, leprosy of not only substance use, so to speak, but 
in particular this condition, which has even more of that kind of uh, flavor to it, I, I think it's an absolutely fascinating idea about how, how we can bring uh, people closer together, um, stop disrupting communities and families mm -hmm. if we have meaningful and effective treatments. Yeah. Yeah, I think the reason I was so interested in this topic was substance abuse has many uh, important implications in psychiatry and like you mentioned also in emergency medicine and it's just a constantly changing field and so it's interesting to I mean it's important to know about these drugs when you're treating patients both in the ER and in psychiatry um, but it's also interesting like you mentioned to see how these drugs of abuse are similar to drugs that we use mm -hmm. to treat psychiatric conditions mm -hmm. and um, it just shows all the things that are advancing in the field. I think the takeaway is um, if, you, if you're in the emergency room and you see a patient, you suspect it's opioid abuse and it's resistant to naloxone, consider, think about xylazine as a potential adulterant in, uh, uh, in their drugs. Not just fentanyl. Yeah, not just fentanyl. Does fentanyl re reverse with... Uh Yes. With naloxone? Yeah. Okay. So non-reversing uh, syndrome that appears to be an opiate overdose or intoxication. Yep. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, very, very uh, happy to have been able to work with the three of you. Uh, Joshua, I was fortunate enough to have you on a rotation in the past. Mm -hmm. Quinn, I've been very fortunate to have you with me this month, sir. And uh, Doug, it felt a lot like you were part of uh, the rotation with me. I've, I've enjoyed working with the three of you in a way that was very, uh, um, without sounding trite, it was actually very enjoyable for me. And, and I would say that it was a, an experience that I will look back on fondly, uh, as I have with many rotations for many different reasons. But the collegiality of the three of you, the topics that you tackled, the approach to the podcast, that was uh, a great deal of um, fun for me. And thank you for bringing that. On that note, team, team out. out.